Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Where can you get the best medical information anytime and anywhere? Well, hopefully right here on The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Do we all remember how boring science classes in high school could be? I mean, high school biology labs, I remember doing frog dissections with the frogs being soaked in formaldehyde. It was was pretty gross. Or chemistry demonstrations where the the teacher in the front was doing this concoction with acids and bases and it kind of smelled like rotten eggs. And the worst part was sometimes the science textbooks seemed to be filled with all these dry facts and figures that we just had to memorize to pass a test. I think back and I'm amazed I ended up studying medicine despite all these challenges uh, I guess, thank goodness, I watched a lot of Marcus Welby, MD episodes as a kid. It kind of inspired me to be a doctor. Well, my guest today is not a doctor, but she's definitely not your average high school science teacher either. Her name is Katie Gaza, and she is a teacher, and she's a high school teacher, but she does some quite unique things in her classroom. Katie has a bachelor's degree from the University of Arizona in biochemistry and biophysics. And I can tell you those are pretty tough majors to uh, do, one alone, let alone both of them. She also has a master's in uh, curriculum instruction. But I think what makes Katie so special is that she's been teaching her students one of the most exciting, revolutionary scientific breakthroughs people say in history. It's called CRISPR, a new form of gene editing. And not only is Katie teaching them this tool, she's letting them do experiments. I'm like, I don't know if we have to worry about this. We'll have to find out with this tool uh, in you know the high school laboratories. I mean, it's scary, but impressive. Now, just to clarify for the listeners, CRISPR, if you haven't heard, and some of you may have, and you're wondering, what the heck is this? It's a scientific tool that promises to transform medicine and other areas of science. And in fact, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2020 was awarded to Dr. Jennifer Dudna at the University of California, Berkeley, along with, uh, if I pronounce this right, Emmanuel Charpentier from France for their uh, collaboration and and contribution to this field. So I'm really excited to speak to Katie about CRISPR and what her students are up to. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great. So as I said a little bit in the introduction, so I always like to know people's background a little bit. I mean, did you like science when you were in school? I had to laugh because as you described it, um, I graduated high school almost 20 years ago and it was the same experience. I maybe had one science teacher that, you know, helped me to enjoy science, but it really was a lot of dry material, a lot of memorization, a ton of vocab and not so much critical thinking or how I see science and and what science really is in the world. And so, yeah, I, the only reason I went into this is I wanted to be a doctor because that's what you're told to do. If you're going to be successful, you're going to be a doctor. Um, But then I passed out watching a knee surgery and I was like, well, that's not good. And so did some reflection and realized it was a lot of pressure, you know, helping people while they were living. So I decided I would help them when they were dead and I wanted to do forensics. And mm, so, yeah, I was headed towards forensics. So that's why my undergrad um, is the biochemistry and molecular biophysics. Um, I really, at that time, there was no 
um, there's no forensics really. Yes, right. You know? It was in, right. You know, I mean, yeah. DNA was still it's it, you know it's early stages of how they were using it. It was very um, right, very questionable. Yeah, so um, they had me just sit. I could have gone into it right away. Like they, mm-hmm. it was a GED, mm-hmm. but I was like, I want to go to college, and yeah, yeah. so I went and got the degree. And by the time I left college in four years, it was. Um, totally different. The CSI show came out. Right, right. And I needed right. a grad degree at that point. So I couldn't get into forensics. And so someone said, and I was working at the crime lab down in Tucson or volunteering there. And they said, get a teaching degree because it's, it's the testifying in court. We need to bring real science down mm, to the right, jury. Right. And so I got the master's in education and I never left the classroom. I found my passion. That's so funny and interesting. You know, yeah, I was um, I was brainwashed at a very early age. My, my parents even showed me a picture. When I was three years old. They put a stethoscope around me, so you can imagine, you know, the pressure on me. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, just kind of bore through some of those science classes early on. And you're right. Once in a while, I mean, I really want anyone listening, especially any high school teachers listening, that you have no idea the impact you can have on a young person. And if you look, seem excited about the material and you make it, you put it in the context of how, you know, the, these facts that are sometimes in a textbook were gone through painstakingly and maybe in competition with other researchers, you know, there's a, there's a whole thing to it. And I think that's what makes, you know, science really interesting. And, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you also as a follow-up to that, you know, Jennifer Dudna uh, wrote a book called The Crack in Creation, which, you know, she talks about, um, how she came to getting involved in science. You know, she was influenced by her dad, gave her a book called The Double Helix, which was by James Watson. It got her excited. But it was interesting because her high school guidance counselor, as she mentions in the book, said to her, women don't go into science. You know, change your change your ambition. Was that ever an issue for you? Like where they were like, you know, Katie, don't go into this. This is not, you know, this is a little too much for you kind of thing. No, thank goodness. No. no one in education did that. But I have definitely seen that. Like my own mother, would, she calls me an anomaly. She's like, mm. women aren't good at math and science. Right. Like, an anomaly. And I was like, I'm sorry someone ever put that in your head. Mm. That's just not true. I'm not yeah. an anomaly. You know, women can do science just as men can do nursing. You know, right. we all can do right. absolutely every occupation. Uh-huh. Now, I have to ask you, because I went to your website, because I, I think you're a colorful teacher in, in a lot of different <laughs> ways. And I saw you wearing a T-shirt, and I'm, I don't know why it was on the back of the T-shirt. That I don't want to find out, too. It says, Mama Nerd. So what is that moniker supposed to mean? Um, so in science... We tend to draw a crowd of students who are a little more in high school, not popular. They like to dive deep into subjects and Mm -hmm. the typical name for them is a nerd. And so from very early on, I was like, I'm a nerd, guys. And that started in my classroom and culture becoming something we were very proud of. And we were at a science competition, the state science fair, and the kids were doing their interviews and stress. And I was like, okay, we'll have a snack. They're like, oh, we're like your little birds and your mom a bird. No, you're mom a nerd. Mm. And so that's where the name, you know, lovingly came from my students. That was four or five years ago. And then when that group graduated, that's one of our school jerseys and you can get it customized with, you know, the last name. So they, they put mom oh, and nerd nice. on the back of the Jersey for me. Um, so, so yeah, that's where that came from. You know, the funny thing is though, 
it just shows you how life changes. Because I, I, yeah, I knew when I was growing up too, like, you know, if you were really smart, you know, and you weren't good at sports, you were labeled the nerd. Um, and, you know, I think after the Big Bang Theory, the show, you know, and now all these, the nerds who are computer geniuses and making millions, people say, oh, I better be nice to the nerd. <laughs> I might be working for that nerd one day, you know. That's always the joke. Yeah, it's like, be proud. You're the one who's going to be uh -huh. leading the next yeah, that of everything. Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm just also curious to the last part of just your background stuff. Now, so you chose to teach in high school, maybe versus university, and also you're at Skyline High School. Is that a public or private school, or is that a special school? Like you have to pass a test, like a like we have in New York, certain like uh, schools that are considered like science, you know, like Bronx High School Science in New York, which is very famous. There's been Nobel Prize winners from there, but they, you have to pass a certain very difficult test to be even admitted to that school. Nope. Uh, Skyline is a public school in Mesa. We have six public schools. I was at Red Mountain for um, seven years, and then I moved over here to Skyline. Um, the district requested that because we're going to build a health science academy over here. Mm -hmm. But um Ever since I got an education, I've been really big that I want to stay in public education because that's what I went through. Um, and it's starting to get a stigma that public education can't keep up with charter or private. Right, right. And, I, and I do disagree with that. I believe in equity and mm. I want every student to get the possibility of a good education. So, you know, it's a public school and I'm, I'm big on that. And I no, that's great. I mean, obviously, the Bronx High School of Science, there's a couple other schools here in New York that, you know, are, I mean, again, they're, they're, you do have to pass certain exams to get in, but, you know, it does seem to foster the, the kids that are the most determined, you know, and um, and I agree with you. I think it should be open to any, not a select few, and um, that's great. Okay, let's get on to CRISPR, because this is what's getting everybody excited, and, you know, it's really interesting. I'm actually, I'm teaching at the medical school next week. Uh, I teach the immunology section, but I think what I, I used to like to always say to the students is, you know, the last few years, I think genetics and immunology are possibly the two most important things that they can learn in medical school, because that's the language of, of medicine going forward. And I think even more so now with this CRISPR technology, but can you explain for our listeners as succinctly or simply as possible, what, what is CRISPR and what, why are people making it that it's so important? Because, you know, a lot of times we hear in medicine and science, oh, the biggest breakthrough, this will change everything and nothing changes. So uh, <laughs> why, why is this important? And, you know, the best you can explain. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's always best when I we approach a new subject with the students, I tend to connect it to something they already have knowledge to. So I bet your audience is very familiar with the Human Genome Project and right. the knowledge that came out of that, right? We really started to understand DNA as the code of life. And we really started to understand these molecules within us are really giving us this outward characteristic. Well, CRISPR now is kind of like our new coding technique. Mm -hmm. We can really start to manipulate that code. Um, we now know some, I'm never going to claim, and that's the beauty of science. It's always changing. Um, we know some of the molecules that are doing that, and we know or how they're functioning well enough that we can manipulate them. And so being that DNA is the basic code, like a computer that will give you an outprint, a graphic on the screen. It's giving you your characteristic. Well, CRISPR is going to allow us to change that code. Maybe you have a gene that's giving a fuzzy image, right? Um, it's giving you sickle cell anemia. It's not giving mm -hmm. you, you know, the proper right. shape for your blood cell. And right. so we're going to go in there with those molecules, the Cas9 system, and we're going 
to adjust that code. So now that the image is clear on the screen or the cell is the blood cells getting the proper shape to do the function it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I, my understanding too, and I had to, you know, as I said, I've been reading, uh, I reread uh, The Crack in Creation. I was reading actually also Walter Isaacson has a book about Jennifer Doudner and her work. And, and I really, you know, again, I had to do a deep dive because, uh, uh, you know, um, CRISPR really, I think, involves understanding biochemistry and microbiology. And so I, I'm just curious too, for your high school students, I mean, because again, to me, it seems like a lot. I, you know, as I said, I had to reread this several times, you know, and I, again, I have the immunology background. I've studied microbiology. It took me a few times to really just comprehend this. Um, and one of the things I just want to say interesting to the listeners, if they can, if this, they can relate to this, I'll never forget when I was in my last year of college and then again in medical school, I did biochemistry. And there was a, a paragraph, a paragraph in this big, thick biochemistry book on something called palindromes. And I want to just let our listeners know why I'm bringing this up, because the palindrome you've probably even heard in regular uh, terminology is when, for example, a word, you know, let's take the word, um, hmm, that's a good one, you know, race where car. you, what's that? Race car. Is that true? A oh, race car. So if you do it forwards or backwards, it's the same. Okay, so that's what a palindrome is. And I'll never forget in the biochemistry textbook, this was, uh, you know, like 35, 40 years ago, was a paragraph saying, you know, we found these sequences of palindromes in these bacteria. And I said, hmm, pretty interesting, but they didn't say anything else about it. That was it. It was just like, these things exist. Okay, very fascinating that, you know, the you know, in evolution, they thought that for some reason you should have you know, a strand of DNA that if you read it backwards or forwards, it's the same, but what does that mean? And, uh, and now with CRISPR, apparently this is obviously how the bacteria, that segment of the gene knows how to, along with you, what you just mentioned, this Cas9 enzyme knows how to go after the virus and kill it. So that's what, that's, what's fascinating. I want the listeners to realize like the potential is incredible with this, not only as you just mentioned, you know, substituting and making a, an edit in the genome of someone who has sickle cell anemia, again, if our listeners don't know, that's just like one base pair that's, that's off. And the other thing too, which I, I talk a lot with my patients is, you know, we've had antibiotics for 40 years, 50 years, however long we've had it. And we know more and more there's been resistance, you know, you know, bacterial resistance to the antibiotics. They're not working anymore. I mean, just keep on trying to invent more new things, but, but, Bacteria and has figured out a way to, you know, to kill viruses, which we need more than ever. I mean, hopefully even CRISPR can work on something for COVID, you know, and other things. So that's why I want people to realize why I'm excited. And I know you're excited. But again, circling back, because I kind of interrupted, how are the students digesting this? I mean, like, do you have to have first a set of lectures? Because I know you do the practical work, which I think amazing but how, how do you let's say you get a student do they have a prerequisite before they take your course no you just hit well i would say yes like we require they're either biology. in biology exactly in biology okay. and again that's that equity piece um so i scaffold the class where we are going to hit 
the content at a basic level any student can master, but I'm going to have higher levels for the students who have that higher metacognition to go there. Um, but the whole point of this program and speaking like I did earlier about public education is we want every student to be able to see themselves in this line of work. And so the way that I approach CRISPR, it's a, my program's a two-year program. And so it's not until the second year. So they've had a whole year of biotechnology. You know, we've started to get that abstract thinking of molecules. Mm. And so that's one of the, I was telling them I had to break their brain. You know, we're doing mm. a lab, but you're thinking about the molecules and we're doing modeling and drawing out mm. what's happening. So that's they're great. starting to see the world molecularly. And one of our big labs that we do that's very common in um, like the biologies um, in high school is the P-Glow lab. And so doing a bacterial transformation, adding in a plasmid that has the gene for glowing. It comes from a jellyfish. Mm, right. That's, that's what, mm -hmm. And so it's, visual. Great, it's a great visual, right? Yeah. So here you have regular bacteria and we've done our microbiome you know, unit where they know how to grow bacteria and culture and stuff. Um, but now they can make it glow. The technique to do that is incredibly simple. Mm. It's just add in your components, pipette them in, and then we heat shock. So we go cold, hot, cold, mm. and boom, it changes the bacteria. But then that must be pretty exciting for them to see that, right? Oh, I mean, it's it like, you know, it's like their mind, right? You know, because I mean? it's like normally if they read about something like that, or even like I saw the picture in the New York Times or where or something, they were, or an article I downloaded that, you know, they were showing what you were discussing. But I, I got to believe it's mind blowing when the kids are there saying, oh, I'm just putzing around doing this experiment. And Whoa, look at this one. You know, this one glows. This one doesn't glow. You know why? And then to get them to think deeper, because, as you know, essentially chemistry is, you know, as Jennifer Duda talks about is it's it's tricky because you can't see it, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, unless you use these special dyes or fluorescent things. So, yeah. So the visual and the, the ability to do it in the lab, any student can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's that scaffolding. We have a student who maybe hasn't been pushed cognitively very right. much, but they're like, I just transformed bacteria. I can be a lab technician and you don't need right. to go to college for that if they don't enjoy academics. Right. But now they're like, I'm able to do this and I have the basic idea to do so. And so I bring that lab up because we do that in the first year. And then in the second year, we start getting really, really deep with the molecules. We've built that abstract thought and like, you know, Dewana mm. said that chemistry mind. Right. And then so we get into CRISPR, the technique is the same as the transformation lab. It is as simple as you add the components, heat shock it, because all you had to do is get the molecular machinery into the cell and then the molecules do all the work. Mm. And so doing CRISPR in the lab with the students is a breeze. It's the conceptual idea of understanding it. Sure. So we do the lab and BioRad is an amazing company that makes kits with the actual molecules for teachers and they're incredibly easy to run. I, I wanted to ask you that too, because you know, again, most of the time, especially in universities, they have big grants and money and this stuff is usually, you need these very expensive machines to, you know, I mean, I think remember back in the day, I think it was called uh, the way they used to even cut uh, proteins to examine amino acids. I think it was called a Sanger. You probably know better than I do. You know, that was like, a, but, you know, but these machines were, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and what I'm hearing is CRISPR is very inexpensive. Is that, why is that? 
CRISPR is um, molecules that are um, a little bit easier to harvest or um, utilize um, because they're the bacteria machinery. We're just pulling them out. We're not synthesizing mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, that technique is really, really basic. You're not mm. needing really, you could get away with not even having any machinery. You have a hot bath and a, an ice bath and wow. the basic wow. you know, test tubes and stuff like that. Um, when, when you're talking about sequencing and all of that, like you're going to be needing some serious machinery. Yeah. So they're, they're really getting, you know, a hands-on understanding. I love it. And then obviously, like you said, they're doing different levels. People who just like some people like doing the physical work. They don't want to be thinking about too much, but they, but they're very good at that. And they, you know, and, and trust me, there, there are a lot of for, you know, pharmaceutical companies, other kind of labs where they, they need people that want to just, and who are very precise and they're not, you know, they're not into, they don't care how this all really works, but they just, but they they take pride in what they do. And then I'm sure you have these other students who are like watching this thinking, wow, well, maybe they're not even that good at doing the lab work. But they're like, whoa, they, the they have mind the is thinking, yeah, they're like, mm-hmm. wow, why is this happening? And how can I apply this to, you know, you know, to, to some useful information, like as you said, from forensics to science, to medical science, to probably they're talking about agriculture, you know, again, you know, to make either crops less resistant. And I mean, should people be afraid of, you know, I, again, I don't really know. I'm not, I don't propose to, propose to be an expert on this, but like the whole thing about genetic modification with, I mean, we might be going on a tangent here, but like, I mean, essentially, Gregor Mendel did that back in whatever the 16, 1700s, you know, he was like, he was splicing and put together different kind of peas to get different colors. Why, why are people so worried about genetic modification? I think fear always comes from the unknown. And this is the ethics arc. It's definitely not outside. This pops up in every lab. Um, once we start looking at science through the lens of ethics in my class, the students take it there every time. They're like, wait a minute. So you're telling me we can recode DNA? Well, couldn't mm-hmm. somebody do this? Well, absolutely. And somebody could also pick up a pencil and stab you at any time. Somebody Mm. could also, you know, there's always going to unfortunately be a bit of um, misuse of things. There's bad actors. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we need to do is be as knowledgeable as possible and constantly have open ethical talks. And that's why I absolutely love my position in life. I'm talking to the students as they're forming, you know, their morals and ethics and growing into adults. And if I can get them to have an ethical lens, even if they don't go into science, but to question and to reflect and to be a part of the conversation, um, we're going to get away from that fear of everything's going to always go bad. Instead, we're going to say, okay, what is this doing and how are we using it for good? Sure. Like how could it save us? But you know, it's so funny. You're leading me to my, my next subject or area was really the moral and ethical concern about CRISPR, which there always was way back about, you know, DNA and knowing the genome and everything too. And, and we were still like so far away from being able to do anything, but people were worried about it. But I want to mention something to the listeners also too, because this, this was, uh, made a lot of news at, at the time and it's, you know, it was controversial, but very interesting. And apparently, um, there was a doctor in China that either trained with Dr. Duden or was very familiar with the work. I forgot which one. And he actually used CRISPR gene editing, what we call in utero, in a pregnancy uh, in a woman that was pregnant with, I believe, twins. And what he did was uh, apparently the father had HIV and HIV. Uh, and I don't know if he had AIDS, but it was HIV positive. There's a big stigma in China. And they were very worried. Uh, well, anyway, the, the, the doctor researcher who got involved with this uh, wanted to edit the genome 
by doing something where he removed uh, a certain receptor, the chemo, it's called the chemokine receptor, so that the, 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 the children could not be infected with HIV. Um, and he did it. And he was, you know, quote, successful in doing it. Now, you know, at the time, he got a lot of attention. Then he got a lot of heat for doing that. Um, you know, whether, because you know, again, they really hasn't been set the moral and ethical things of what should be done with this. You know, people say, you know, essentially, he's playing God with this tool. Um, do you think, though, there should be some, or are there now even laws or restrictions about doing this? Because I also heard, too, I think there was some young guy on the internet who was doing YouTube videos. He was doing CRISPR experiments with this stuff. And I don't know if he was trying to grow an extra leg on a frog or something. You know, he was, he was kind of doing it you know, mischievously, you know. So do you think that, again, you could be the best teacher in the world, but do you think there should be some regulations about who should be allowed to do this? I mean, like, you know, not just some home chemistry kit. <laughs> my uh, personal, yeah, my personal opinion. So there's a lot of um, biohacking or garage um, genetic modification. I think I know um, there's a, quite a few famous ones out there. Like, I think I know the hacker you're talking about. Yeah. Um, again, I come down to it's about the knowledge of it and having that conversation. Um, I would ask that person, why are we adding an extra leg, you know, to the frog and stuff. And there's always going to be people who take it a little too far. So that's where regulations do need to come in. And that's where the people who are knowledgeable um, need to come to the table and have that conversation on how we will be regulating these things. Um, Because it's seen time and time again in science, you know, we, we think, okay, we have this overrun plant, so we add this bug to help out, and now we add an invasive species, and we cause more issues. Right. Um, you know, we we don't want to know, you know, do that genetically and with molecules. So right. absolutely, there should be regulations. Yeah. Um, I I don't think I would in any way be invited to that table to have that conversation. You know, there are people. Well, do you get any? It's interesting. You know, look, we're seeing so much crazy stuff now about whether it's about abortion, whether it's about what could be taught in schools. Do you get any type of direct or indirect influence from administration saying, Katie, don't go to that area or stay within this, these bounds? I've been very fortunate. I've been teaching this in my 15th year and I've never, um, never been told that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as a biology teacher, the one that always comes up is evolution, things like that. And I've taught those and I've taught the human body and um, sex ed and, but I always approach it as I'm giving knowledge. I am giving facts that are currently known in science. You know, I am not saying my opinions. I am Mm -hmm. not, trying to influence thought, but I am trying to make the students confident when they have to have that conversation in their life, you know? And so I've never had that issue. I'm very grateful for that. I know there are schools where teachers are regulated and told you can't teach something. Right. Um, and that is a challenge. I hope never comes to my school, but if it does, I, I will stand up for it. We need to give facts. We are not going to hide information. That's not what education is about. I agree with that. I think there has to be, you know, rational uh, debates, you know, and people's opinion expressed and hopefully the best ideas and the most logical and compassionate, you know, win out for sure. Um, as we're sort of concluding on this, I want to ask you if, uh, if there's a high school student out there that's not fortunate enough to be in Mesa, Arizona, 
and he wants to learn about CRISPR and doing some of the, the exciting things that you're doing, what's the best way to learn? Can they go to YouTube? Is there any kind of online academy where you know uh, a student could get that extra uh, information? Yes. Uh, we're in a digital, beautiful age. I am blown away at how these students learn. I personally don't learn well through like the internet and that's because I grew up with textual stuff, Mm. but I've known students who have taught themselves other languages from watching YouTube. Um, So there are amazing videos and I wish (laughs) um, I cannot think of the couple places that I've sent students to. Um, You can have some really academic ones like Khan Academy, but um, there are some um, way more fun ones and I cannot think of their crash course is a good one. Uh, but crash course is called yeah. mm-hmm. crash course is a little more um, entertaining versus mm-hmm. like straight academic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a wonderful molecular biologist in England who makes these great videos that I tend to show in class. Um, I cannot think of his name, of course, but mm-hmm. the other thing I would stress to that student is there is a teacher at your school. Trust mm-hmm. me. Mm. who would absolutely love to mentor you Mm. go talk to your science teachers and that is really kind of how one of the many things that got me to where I'm at is like we do science fair and everyone hates it but you have that one student who's like I am going down the rabbit hole about this and you mentor them and you're like you Mm. come alive so Mm. go talk to your science teachers your math teachers whatever the subject that you are interested in and say, I want to do a project. I want to learn more about this. You are going to ignite something in yourself that might lead to a future Nobel prize. You are going to invigorate your teacher. You're going Mm. to just blow up your community because you are a change maker. And that's Mm -hmm. what I aspire to do with these kids is help them find a passion to become their purpose. So never think where you're at just because you don't have an amazing biotech program that you can't do something. You still can. You know, I love the line, I think it's from William James, that uh, a teacher's work is everlasting because they never know where it's going to end. You know, when you when you impart that knowledge to a student who, you know, takes that, you know, into their own heart and mind and then, again, does the work. I, I got to imagine, you know, sometimes it's hard, you know, but it's like over the years to see, you know, students succeed or come back and they should probably do it more often, come back to their the teachers that really influenced her. Like, you know, I, I, it's so funny. I'm getting chills because I remember when I was at Brown University, uh, I had a, he was a graduate student, but he became a friend because we were from the same hometown. So we kind of had a, a bond there. But he taught me to appreciate and feel mastery of math, which I never did in like high school, you know, and, but cause he was so excited about it and he was such a good teacher. Is there anything you would say to the teachers out there to be, a better teacher? We get bogged down with a lot because, and we put it on ourselves. We take on the pressure and responsibility of forming these kids. Remove that. Be who you are. Let your passions come through your teaching. That's why you got into it. Then the kids who need you to ignite that passion in them will find you. And you will be reinvigorated. I taught biology for six years and I was starting to ready to leave because I was trying to bring biotech to that school because I wanted deeper science and it, it just wasn't happening. I lucked out. Another school had an opening. I went there and completely it changed my life. My like, I am on a different path and I have to laugh when you say 
hearing old students come back or talk to you. Um, when I finished my undergrad degree, I got a lot of grief from some friends who were in the same program because they were all pre-med. Um, and even from family, like you're going to be a teacher, like you just wasted your education. Mm. Um, one of my friends said, who knows, like one day you could have discovered, you could have been, you sh- I thought you were going to go research and you could have won a Nobel prize. I go, you're looking at it the wrong way. You're right. Uh, maybe I did. Cause I love science and I, I love going down that rabbit hole in research, mm. but I'm going to do that with thousands of children. So instead of my potential to do maybe one Nobel prize, I'm going to have the potential of maybe a hundred. And just like two years ago, um, I've had some amazing rock star students who were Mm. U.S. presidential scholars and been in the white house, Coca-Cola scholars and uh, all of these. And one of them, they, like you said, they reach back out and he's, he's fallen in love with why RNA, something I didn't even know about. And he's teaching me this when he came to visit on break. And he's like, I, this is the key to life. And I'm going to figure out pluripotencies and stem cells, and we're going to cure everything. And I'm going to get a Nobel prize for you, Gazda, because you started it. And I, I like just started waterworks and wow. crying. And I was like, I am making a difference. Like, you thanks. are, you know, you Malcolm know? Gladwell, the famous writer, he's talked about the problem. He's examined this in, in, in school and teaching, you know, um, and also I think in medicine that he, oh, I remember it was an article he wrote about the, it was very interesting. He wrote, we all need mentors and coaches. And the article was about how there was this really amazing uh, teacher who had been in the system many, many years, but a great teacher. And his job, I can't remember if it was in Canada or the United States, was to go around and train teachers to be really effective teachers and bring out the most from their students, you know, not just rely on the students. And, you know, and Malcolm Gladwell basically says, we need superstars in the classroom, you know, because that's where, again, this next generation of scientists come from. Um, and would you agree also too, because one of the things that was one of my pet peeves, you know, now that I do this podcast, I get to interview so many amazing people. I, I, I am reading and studying more than I ever did. I thought when I finished medical school, I was going to open a book again. I was so sick of, because, but I was sick of tests and, and earlier on in life, you know, homework. Do you think that's overdone? I mean, do you think we should have more where we're letting, you know, instead of saying, okay, the kid's got to go home three hours and do more problems, whatever. Like, just think about this one problem, you know, and then, you know, tell me what you think about it kind of thing. Oh, you're hitting the nail on the head. And that's yeah. where education is going. And I couldn't be more excited to be where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in Mesa. That's the buzz. We are building academies around thinking we have this beautiful model called a portrait of a graduate and it's not our kids will have so many credits or no right. AP this, AP no. that, you know, there are, you know, we have an ethical part, we have a skills part and they're going to be communicators wow. and they're going to be critical thinkers. And all of our teachers are being trained to really approach their classrooms this way and rethink how to do assessments mm. and, there is giving so much credit into biotech is in a department called career and technical education. Right. And that's our focus is giving them skills and knowledge of the workforce. And we're working with so many wonderful agencies um, like um, the center for the future of Arizona who are connecting us with industry to bring. Right. That's another really great thing to have these kids that do internships and and to see what it's like in the real world. And, and, you know, because businesses have been saying this all along, he says, we don't have the people to have the skills, but you really need that. They should be involved as well. You know I mean? They, they're lucky. They're getting fully trained 
you know, students, graduates, or whatever, and, and if they want them, you know, the same way all of the tech companies will, you know, want kids to know how to code or whatever, and, you know, something like Google do, you know, influence that, but the same thing, too, in these other areas. Yeah, and there's a shift. I mean, I sat on a committee um, at the state level when we wrote the vision for CTE a couple, like four or five years ago, and I was one of two teachers in a room of 50, and it was industry, and we're writing the vision. It was all about economic gain and mm-hmm. things like that, and I'm like, you're missing the education part. We need to get these kids a purpose, and I was so right. proud that I got that word into the, mm, the vision. Yeah. And it has shifted. Industry was pushing against that and saying, just give us a better workforce. And now we have industry coming in and going, what do you need? How do we support education? How can I help you? So there is, at least here in my little corner of the world in Mesa, this beautiful synergy where we are really heading to changing education to not only create a good workforce, but a good community and good citizens who are confident what they do. They're doing things they love. Um, and I really see that as, you know, the shift of, of really making our world a better place. And Absolutely. I, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. I mean, I you know, grateful. what you're really saying too, and I think this is really deep and that I, again, I hope all the listeners appreciate this. We want to create students, adults who have pride and respect in what they do, no matter what it is. And I think when you are when you are good at something and you feel confident and you feel like you're contributing, contributing that's right, the key. Yeah. That that is the key. Then 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 getting up every day to go to work, you feel like it's worthwhile. And uh, anyway, Katie, I want to thank you because, as I said, I think you know, and I look around. I, I love inspirational teachers. I, I just think they are you know, underappreciated at times, but I think they may be coming to the forefront again. Thank you for educating us and, you know, about CRISPR, the new technology. I'll probably do another podcast on this, you know, in the future again, because I, I think it's a really important, it's not going away. And uh, the more people know about it, know to ask about it, um, it's going to make a big difference. So thanks so much Absolutely. for taking the time. And thank you for having me on and to your listeners. I love connecting with people. I try mm-hmm. to, I go to a ton of different conferences. I have made friends from teachers to doctors to friends mm-hmm. and scientists all over the nation. Look me up at Skyline High School, Katie Gazda, Mazda with a G. Reach out to me. My email's on there. I would love to connect, support you in any way I can. Like, let's make this revolution here we got going in Mesa all over. You know, yes. let's all get passionate and find our purpose. It's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today.